Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is taken from the reading in the Gospel of John. Uh, we begin with the word of prayer. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your word, your word which creates, your word which forgives, your word which sustains. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to be found faithful to this word and you would keep us in the true faith. And Lord, help us to discern your truth from error and to stand firm against the assaults upon your word. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Is nothing sacred anymore? I've actually found myself asking myself that question a lot lately. Is nothing sacred anymore? Uh, I used to hear that question probably on a TV show or in a movie, and it's kind of a joke that is said when something goofy goes on. It was an, oh, there's nothing sacred around here anymore. But actually, I think I'm beginning to think we need to take that question far more seriously. Now, before we get into what I want to get after here today, let's define what we mean today by sacred. Because I think all too often when you hear the word sacred, we associate it with like church things. So like sacraments are sacred and preaching and the Bible are sacred and the church and worship are sacred things because they're things that have to do with God. And that, that's not wrong. It's just not completely right. I mean, it's true that the sacraments and the scriptures and, and church, these are all things that are sacred, but they're sacred because God has given them to us by means of his word. His word is that which creates the church, and so the church is sacred. His word is that which he gives the sacraments to us to forgive our sins. And he says, this is my body given for you, this is my blood shed for you, and that makes the bread and the wine sacred because his word is attached to it. His word gives, his word creates. But if we think about that, if we begin to think that God's word is the thing that creates, we begin to realize that the church is not the only sacred thing. Because sacred things are things created by God's word and used for God's purposes. And what else has God created with his word? Well, like everything. God created the whole creation by means of his word. He spoke the creation into existence. And it's with his word he creates, and his word then tells us what the purpose of that creation is. So sacred things are things created by God's word and used for God's purposes or for God's ends. So for example, that would mean the creation of men and women is a sacred thing. Male and female, God created us in the image of God, which is a holy and sacred thing. That, from that uh, institution of, of male and female comes the institution of the family. When God created Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And there God has created the family, therefore the family is a sacred thing. Now notice what he told Adam and Eve to do, not only to, to create life and fill the earth, but to subdue the creation. That is, work the creation, live here, enjoy it, but work in the creation. Therefore, work that we do for the sake of our neighbor, this is a sacred thing. What's more, if you can possibly believe this, even the government itself, the political realm, has a sacred role in the creation. I know, I know, we all thought politics were just godless, but no, 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 go with me on this. God creates sort of the political realm to keep order in society, to prevent um, sin from running rampant and, and sort of controlling things with nothing but evil. God created that. 
for us. So it's sort of a sacred thing. So we have like the church and the institution of the family and the institution of the political realm. These are all sacred institutions created by the word of God. But it would seem to me that all of these sort of orders of creation these days are under attack. Think about it. The way we talk about men and women is no longer viewed as this beautiful creation, both reflecting the image of God and being used by God for his purposes in this creation. No, to be told that you're male or female is now seen as nothing more than a social construct imposed upon you by some oppressive regime. The family is under attack. It used to be that we would say in uh, the wedding ceremony, till death do us part, and we would not do it tongue-in-cheek as though it were an option. See, this is a thing that is under attack. We're redefining marriage entirely, not as the institution of God that you, use, uh, that you have there to bring forth families and create community and create um, um, support and love, but rather uh, it's simply this institution where we go to be happy. We also have now undermine something like uh, the womb. This, this, we used to say something like this, that the womb uh, was like a euphemism for safety and growth and birth and this beautiful picture of this life being formed. Now, the child in the womb is nothing more than uh, a sort of politic, politically divisive talking point, a batch of cells assaulting the rights of women. People of different colors are no longer viewed as neighbors to be loved and cared for, but political enemies who are seeking to remove my piece of the pie and ruin the country I grew up in. The state, the political realm, has ceased to be an instrument of peace and order and has now become an idol of power. And morality is defined by what sells the most products, not by higher orders of creation or something as archaic as God's will. And the church is not immune to this sort of attack. Church should be understood as that place where God gathers his sheep into his fold so they might hear his word, have their sins forgiven, and be formed and shaped to be the very people he saved them to be. But now far too many people are using the church as another money-making machine. Or it's viewed as my Sunday morning entertainment that is used to meet my therapeutic needs. Pulpits have become nothing more than a political platform. Church is no longer about God and what He has to say to you and for you. It's now about me. And if that church doesn't do what I want it to do, and if it doesn't serve my needs in my ways, then I'll just go down the street and find another church. If I don't want to eat at this restaurant anymore, I may as well go to another restaurant that I like my way. The church has become nothing more than another product we buy or sell. And the house of God is turned into a house of trade. No. Nothing seems to be sacred anymore. I'm becoming more and more afraid that we have just completely forgotten God. And we've allowed the things of this world to creep in and define the church and the family and our role within society and creation and all of these things. God's things, God's sacred things are used to our own sinful ends. And we are found ignoring His Word. His Word, which is the truly one holy sacred thing that we have, is being despised. It's being desecrated. The sacred is being desecrated. 
We live in a time of desecration. But now this is nothing new. Because you see, here's the thing. I keep hearing this, that now it's never been worse than it is now. Today is the worst we've ever seen it in all the history of our lives. And that might be true for the history of our lives. But you need to understand that the history of the world is a history of desecrating God's word. And this sort of thing has been going on for a very long time. Even in the scriptures, if you look through the Old Testament and the New Testament, you find that the world is constantly desecrating the things of God. Let's take, for example, uh, the temple, the institution of the temple, because we're going to spend some time in the temple here today. If you look at the building of the temple in the Old Testament, it was this gift that God gave to Israel under the reign of King Solomon. And God promised that in that temple he would be present with his people. But now God is a holy God and he can't dwell among sinners. And so in order for him to be present there, sacrifices had to be made to pay for or to atone for the sins of the people. So this temple was this place of God's promised presence and a place of sacrifice. Now, uh, it did not take long, and believe me, this this actually happens in the world. Uh, It did not take long for there to be political divisions within Israel that split the nation in half. And many of the people decided they could no longer, it was no longer politically expedient to worship in Jerusalem where the temple had been built. So they began to build their own temples in other places and worship on their own terms. It was more convenient for them that way. Further, the temple in Jerusalem, uh, as you follow it throughout the history of the Old Testament, you find it very quickly is desecrated by becoming a sort of Unitarian chapel where they would bring in all the gods from all the other areas and they would worship those gods and sacrifice to those gods and pray to those gods, hoping that those gods would give them some kind of advantage that the one true God apparently wasn't going to give them. Excuse me for a second. I sound a little... uh, irked this morning in this sermon nothing irks me more than this microphone okay uh here we go (laughs) Ah, see it's bouncing around all right i don't even know what i'm talking about anymore oh yeah uh so then we get to the new testament in the temple and by the time we arrive here now that temple in the old testament because it was desecrated and, and all of these sorts of things god left it and it was destroyed but god once again gave them a second temple and this temple was also built in jerusalem But by the time we get to Jesus' day, that temple itself is being desecrated. People are there using God's place for their own personal ends. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem this day on the Passover, and there he finds people in the worship center, in the temple where people should be praying and hearing the word and offering up songs and psalms of praise to God. He comes in there and he finds people selling animals for the sacrifices oxen and sheep and and pigeons and he's furious about this jesus shows up and this thing that is sacred to god is being used for people's greedy ends they're there overcharging for sacrifices and god it seems even there in that temple was forgotten god was forgotten until he showed up in the flesh of Jesus with a whip in his hand and began with zeal for his father's house to drive people and the animals out of the temple. Listen to what John writes. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house 
a house of trade. In other words, they were ruining God's things and they were desecrating the sacred and Christ is furious about this. Now before we move on, I do want to stop for a moment and talk about why those animals were being sold in the temple uh, area at that time. It actually makes some sense if you start to do a little research here. What you find is that at the Passover, the Jews from all over the region, I mean like uh, hundreds of thousands of Jews would show up in Jerusalem at that time and they would travel from all over the place. But there's a problem when you travel. It's very hard to bring your oxen and your sheep and your pigeons with you. The pigeons, they fly away on the trip. Like it's too much, you know. And so you've got to get there and when you arrive, you need to buy the animals for the sacrifice so that you can offer those sacrifices up uh, for your family. So this was a fine practice. It was a normal practice and actually very helpful to sell these animals for sacrifice there in Jerusalem. The problem was is that they had taken this practice and moved it into the temple itself. It would be like sitting here in the worship service and someone beginning to decide that they wanted to sell Bibles and popcorn as they walked up and down the aisle during the sermon with Bibles to sell to you and you would give it to them and they would pay just like you know, peanuts at the baseball game. That's kind of the idea here. The whole thing was desecrated. Now, the animals were sold there because it was the temple where sacrifices were to be made. And the reason they made sacrifices, as we mentioned earlier, was because God who dwelled in the temple could not be among sinful people <laughs> without killing them. And so death had to be, our, our blood had to be shed to pay for the sins of the people. We call this atonement. An animal was sacrificed on behalf of a person or their family to pay for their sins. It's a substitutionary atonement. Now, that blood of the animals didn't fully atone for anybody, and really the whole point of it was, was to point to the coming of Jesus, who was going to offer up his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. But the people didn't get that. So that when Jesus is in the temple actually driving the sacrifices out and chasing out the animals and setting the pigeons free, he looks to them to be like the one who's desecrating the temple because Jesus is removing the very sacrifices necessary to pay for the sins of the people. And the Jews are shocked by this. They say, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Or they, you might say it this way, they're thinking, who do you think you are? attacking our business and removing our sacrifices in the temple of God. Jesus is nothing sacred to you. Now, it is worth noting here, uh, this is always the way with those who desecrate God's things. They always want to sound smarter than Jesus. They always want to sound like they know better than the word of God. They want to sound so much more holy and righteous and pious and intelligent than Jesus and the word of God. So they'll mock Jesus. They'll question Jesus. They'll look down on God's word, you know, with their own business practices, with their own science and sociology and biology and revised history and so on and so forth. I mean, we're going to come with every reason in the world to ignore, misuse, and desecrate the word of God for our own ends. But not Jesus. Jesus is the only one who is focused on the will of the Father. In fact, Jesus says all of this sacred stuff ultimately and finally points to me. Jesus points out to us today that he is the one sacred one of God sent by the Father to restore and make right all that we have distorted and desecrated. And he says it in this really kind of obscure but beautiful phrase today when he says this, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it. 
That's a kind of, kind of a confusing thing to say. The, the Jews who are listening to him there are like, well, it took us 46 years. Who do you think you are? You're going to be re- rebuilding this thing in three days? But the apostle reminds us here uh, that Jesus is now not referring to the temple uh, made by bricks, but he's referring to his own body. His body, which he has brought into this world, which, which will be offered up as a sacrifice for our sins. As he's driving out the ox and the, do- the ox and the sheep and the pigeons, it's in essence he's saying, "Look, you don't need these things to make you holy anymore. You don't need this building to declare you righteous anymore. I'm the one who's come to do that to you. I'm the presence of God in your midst." Jesus is saying, "I'm the one who's going to offer up my life as a sacrifice and shed my blood for you. I am God's holy temple. The presence of His sacrificial love." come for you i am the one who makes you holy i am the one who declares you righteous all of these sacrifices point to me says jesus and where did that get him where did that language get jesus this talk of him being the temple of god what did sinners do with the most uh, sacred of god's things well we crucified him you crucified The religious leaders put him on the cross for these claims. You and I, every time we sin, we attack him because he claims to be God over us and he claims to know better than us. And so we reject him in our sin. It is our sins that desecrate the holy Christ. As we sing in the song last week in Christ alone, it was our sin that held him there. It was your sin that held him there. The sacred Son of God desecrated by your sins and my sin on the cross. But Jesus calls his body a temple that will be raised. Jesus is telling us today that which is desecrated, his own holy body, will be made sacred again when he rises from the grave. And what is more, he will make sacred everything that has been corrupted. Now it starts with his body, which when he rises from the dead is now free from desecration. But now he comes to you with a word. And it's with that word that he declares you to be holy and he declares you to be righteous. It's as if from this risen temple of Jesus, from the mouth of Jesus, uh, uh, from the mouth of this temple, Jesus says this to you even today. You crucified me and I forgive you. I wash you clean with my sacrifice blood. Your sins are atoned for, and I was the substitute on your behalf to pay for your sins. Now you are clean, and you are no longer desecrated by sin. You are forgiven. And in this way, Jesus declares you to be holy, and he sets you apart for God's purposes. You are one of God's sacred things. And soon, when Christ returns, all creation is going to join suit. All of creation is going to be set free from the bondage and cleansed of the desecration, and God will dwell in all of creation, making the whole world a sort of temple of God's presence with his people. We pray for that day to come soon. It's just that that day is not yet. Right now, we still live in the time of desecration, where God's things are under attack and are used sinful ends but you you dear baptized saint of god you are free you are holy 
You in baptism are raised to a new life, and now God has given you the creation back as a gift to be enjoyed and celebrated and played in as though it's your playground for fun, but also with a purpose. You are called to live and serve in God's creation towards God's ends. That means you can do things like celebrate families. You can rejoice in the differences in your being, male or female, that you both reflect the image of God in glorious ways. We can now protect babies in the womb and at the same time fight for the rights and the dignity of women. These are two things that are not ever opposed to each other. We can rejoice in the differences God has given in creating us in his image and we can delight in being part of a church that is made up of people from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. And we can come to the church and worship Christ, not in ways that we prefer, but in spirit and in truth. By coming to his sacred word, which once again even today declares you forgiven and righteous and makes you sacred to him. You see, in Christ Jesus, life is yet sacred. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, have mercy upon us and forgive us for how we misuse and abuse your creation. We ask you, Father, that you would use us for the good of our neighbors around us, that through us, God, you would help to build up those things which you have created. Lord, help us to serve well in your kingdom, knowing that we are yours through the blood of your Son, Jesus, the atonement for our sins. It's in his name we pray. Amen.